Support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. It's extremely difficult to grow in Alaska, but corn has been the most important crop everywhere south of here for thousands of years. Hannah Prescott at Up Yonder Farm is up to the challenge, though. From KBBI and Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. generally agreed that corn, or as the non-American world usually calls it, maize, was domesticated about 9,000 years ago in central Mexico, and from there spread first to South America, and then about 4,500 years ago moved north. The closest wild relative today is teosinte, a grass with several different species in the same genus as corn, zea, that has a complex relationship to the original wild maize that is not thoroughly understood. What is clear, though, is that the original plant bore almost no resemblance to what it became and that the development of improved varieties with larger cobs and bigger yields was one of the greatest agricultural feats of humanity. It made possible complex civilizations stretching from Canada to the central Andes beginning around the time Egyptians built the pyramids until they were destroyed by Europeans after Columbus. Today, it's the second largest crop in the world, behind only sugarcane. The U.S. is the largest producer of corn in the world, but only a very tiny amount of that production is used directly as food, whether as sweet corn or the types that are dried and ground into meal. The vast majority goes to animal feed and ethanol production, with most of the rest being exported or turned into starch, oil, or the famous high-fructose corn syrup. The second biggest producer, interestingly, is China. In 2012, in fact, corn surpassed rice as the biggest grain crop there, which is probably the first time that's happened since the domestication of rice. Most of it goes to feed animals, mainly the cows and pigs that are demanded by the exploding Chinese middle class. Number three is Brazil, which of course has a very long history indeed with maize, though not on the scale of today. Again, it mainly goes to feed livestock and make fuel. The same holds true for Argentina in fourth place. The fifth largest producer of corn in the world, though, and the first one on the list in which corn is primarily viewed as human food rather than livestock fodder, you will not be surprised to learn that it is Mexico, corn's homeland. So a little bit later, I'm going to be getting my hands on some very fresh Alaska-grown corn, which is a real rarity. It's not something that's easy to find. And I'm going to be making a dish a little later that uh, I'm actually just making up, sort of inspired by this corn, that is about like the glory of fresh corn. However, I feel like I can't just leave the whole episode uh, at that because... 99.9% of the time in the state of Alaska. And in fact, in most places, uh, the corn that you're going to be getting is either going to be mediocre supermarket corn, or actually the best corn I've found 
that you can that you can buy that's like the highest quality corn is typically frozen corn is usually pretty good because they it goes right from the field into the freezer usually they pick it at, at ripeness they get to grow varieties that aren't necessarily storage varieties that that are you know a little sweeter and have a little nicer corn flavor so pretty much if i'm going to use corn outside of a corn on the cob situation especially in this state i pretty much go with frozen corn all the time canned corn's okay too but i think frozen corn's a little better so i'm gonna make a dish that like is an actual dish that you could regularly make in the state of alaska and not spend like 50 dollars on it every single time and then we'll get fancy a little bit later this is from South Louisiana, and uh, I feel like I've been a little Louisiana heavy lately. I try to mix things up a little bit, but I'm about to go down there, and then they just had a giant hurricane pass over my parents' house, so Louisiana's kind of on my mind. So this is a Louisiana dish that is maybe the most obvious, like, indigenous Native American contribution to Louisiana cuisine uh, that there is. Like, this is basically like a straight Native American dish. Uh, it's called mock shoe. It's got a French name, and I have no idea why it's called mock shoe, which means, forget what it means, something cabbages. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with cabbage, although maybe the original versions had some. I'm not really sure. I don't know why it's called mock shoe. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a super common dish, you know, it's not something a lot of people are really familiar with. What it is, is essentially a stewed dish, slightly stewed, it doesn't really have to be stewed that long, of the Trinity, corn, and tomatoes. It's very simple, especially in the summer, it's really good, but it also works really well in the winter. It's just like a really great side dish when you're kind of bored with the same old starches and you want something that's maybe slightly more interesting, but it's also extremely easy to make. You know, and most South Louisiana cuisine is uh, much more African-derived. Um, it's kind of a, a combination of African and French cooking uh, in a lot of ways. But in this case, this is pretty much like a purely Southeastern Native American dish. It's also one of the few Louisiana dishes that really sort of features corn in a big way. I mean, the, people eat a lot of corn down there, but it's definitely like second banana to rice. And this is kind of one of the few dishes where corn really makes an appearance. Um, we used to eat this a lot in elementary school. It, it got served at lunch like constantly. At least once a week we had mock shoe. So when I, when I eat it, I actually the first thing I think of is elementary school. But at least back then, I don't know how it is today, but at least back then the, the food at Louisiana schools was typically considerably better than, than most places are used to. Not always, but, uh, but I would say the standard was a little higher as it tends to be in matters culinary, at least in Louisiana cuisine. So I got my Trinity chops here, and I'm going to use butter for this one as my fat. Doesn't get a roux, doesn't really get anything. Um, this is a really, really simple dish. So I got an onion chopped, and I got a whole bell pepper chopped. This is actually one of the dishes that I like to... I'll up the bell pepper in here, because I think it's a really nice... Uh, the earthiness of the bell pepper, and the sweetness of the corn, and the umami of the, of the uh, tomatoes really, really go well together, I think. Drop a big shot of butter in there. And there's really not many ingredients to this either. So I've got my onion, I got a bell pepper, I got a little bit of celery, I got a few cloves of garlic, I got a small can of tomatoes, and I got a little bag of corn, frozen corn, and then the only other ingredients are basically seasonings. You know, you can add some jalapenos or, or some hotter chilies if you'd like. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm not going to today, mostly because I'm too lazy to walk out to the greenhouse right now. It is exactly the same as starting just about any other basic Louisiana dish. In go the onions to sweat. In goes a little salt to help the onions sweat. This is a really great dish that goes to go alongside a uh, fish, like grilled fish or pan fried fish. Super good. It's pretty light flavored, you know, it's, it's not heavy at all. Some people do, like I have seen people like add sausage or add various things to it, but honestly, like I kind of feel like that's overkill. You know, I like, I like this just being a really simple, really basic vegetable kind of stew. And it is the kind of thing like, yeah, I mean, if we did have, like, I could use the fresh corn and fresh tomatoes for this, but I kind of feel like those are so special up here that I want to, like, celebrate them a little bit more than in something like this where there is a bunch of other flavors going on. But this is a great, fantastic uh, use of the corn you can get in the supermarket. And in case you're wondering, it's... <laughs> It's not mock shoe, like making fun of someone's footwear. It's uh, M-A-Q-U-E, 
or M-A-C-Q-U-E. I think I've seen it spelled both ways. M-A-C-Q-U-E is, I think, the most common way. And then uh, C-H-O-U-X, like, like pot of shoe or like cabbage. Hence the cabbage thing. I forget what the mock means. I can't remember that. Okay, onions a little translucent. Add my bell pepper. It's also a pretty solid vegetarian dish, which is kind of uncommon in a lot of in a lot of that cookery. Um, there's not a lot of things that are easy to make vegetarian, but this is because it already is. And if I took out the butter and added and started with oil instead, it would be vegan. So let bell peppers cook. Add my celery in. I'm not even gonna add Worcestershire. That's how vegetarian it's gonna be. Because it doesn't need Worcestershire. Worcestershire and corn are kind of weird to me. Add my garlic. Get my can of tomatoes ready. Drop a little Tabasco in here. And dump in my little small can of tomatoes here. These are whole tomatoes, which is pretty much what I always use because they break down more thoroughly than the, the diced kind. Crushed tomatoes are okay too, but I like, I like the whole ones myself. So this is fairly juicy right now. So what I want to do is I'm going to simmer this a little bit before I add the corn with the uh, tomatoes, just because I want to, I want to cook the tomatoes down a little bit. I want them to get a little, a little uh, thicker and have it be not so, not quite so liquidy. So I want to cook some of this water off and get my tomatoes cooked down. So this is basically like the stewing step where we're going to cook the tomatoes down a little bit because when I add the corn, I actually, I don't like to cook the corn for that long. I just kind of want it to be heated through. So it's like super bright and super corny, you know, and it, it really pops really nice uh, and has, has a lot of integrity. You know, the kernels are, are whole. It's a nice, it's a nice textural contrast, I think, to, to the sort of, Slightly stewed character of everything else. So there's a little paprika, a little cayenne to taste. Uh, added a little bit of thyme, and yeah, these these whole tomatoes break down really nice. And grind a little pepper into there, and now we'll just simmer this together for a few minutes, and then add the corn. Okay, we've gotten a lot of the uh, a lot of the liquid out, and what's left is pretty thick. So I got two ingredients I'm gonna add here. Give this a quick taste. Nice. Just the right amount of heat that kind of perks up right at the end. I'm gonna add a pinch of salt because I'm about to add my corn. I'm gonna add my corn, still frozen, from the bag. Full bag of corn. This is, after all, a corn dish. So be generous with the corn. Stir that in. And the last thing is I'm going to drop in, oh man, maybe half a glass of wine. Just, just some regular white wine. Just to loosen things up a little bit. And we're just going to cook this now. Just maybe five minutes. Long enough to kind of cook the corn through. Long enough for a little bit more of the liquid, the wine I just added to evaporate. My wine will just give it a little bit of brightness right at the end. You know, so I mean, that really only took... I probably had it between 10 and 15 minutes. I cooked down the uh, the tomatoes and the Trinity together. You know, it wasn't so long that, that now they're like completely soft with no integrity and they they taste like heavily stewed. There's still some brightness there. There's still a little bit of, uh, you know, a little fresh flavor uh, happening. And then the, the corn, which has a lot of real high and sweet notes and the, the little shot of, of wine that I added right at the end should really help to sort of brighten things up a little bit and make it so it's not just like too heavy tasting. Smells very good. We will see shortly if it tastes very good. All right, we're just coming up to a simmer, which implies to me that the corn is mostly cooked. It's pretty thick. There's a little bit, it's a little tiny bit saucy, but I, I think it's, it's like just the right amount of saucy where it's not like dripping everywhere. It's thick really appealing. So let's give it a little taste here. Mm. It's delicious. You know, it's just, it's corn. The corn is by far the most dominant flavor, but everything else just sits underneath it and it gives it a really, really nice total package. Um, this is, this is really delicious. I mean, you could, I could probably sit here and eat just a big bowl of this 
and be perfectly happy. But it's a nice, it's a nice dish for, you know, for doing alongside, especially, like I said, especially like fish. Um, it, this is fantastic with fish. I mean, again, I probably wouldn't use this with salmon, or if I did, I would ditch the bell peppers for a red pepper. But for any whitefish or like shrimp, or, or this with shrimp would be delicious. It works just as well with, I mean, anything really. <laughs> it's a it's a side dish that can definitely go along with a lot of different things, and it's nice because it's it's really pretty. You know, it's like there's all these little yellow kernels, and then the green peppers and the red tomatoes with the kind of the basic red sauce. But it's very bright. It's very colorful. It's really fun to look at. It's got an interesting texture. You know, the the contrast of the of the the bright and sort of crunchy corn with the kind of background soft tomatoes and softer vegetables is, is really it's fun to eat <laughs> and uh and it's really the kind of thing that like you can just keep eating and and it's the perfect side dish because you just want to like pile more and more of it on your plate i love this stuff i really don't make it enough honestly yeah i love this dish mock shoe definitely not a very well-known dish but uh i think it deserves to be i think it deserves a little more love than it gets give it a shot Probably grown since it's grown we were here. It's grown a lot since I was here. Like it was. I feel like we could have walked through here a lot easier, and now it's. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely not way above my head because I was here. What it was like? What three weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Something like that. Something like that. Probably three weeks ago at this point. Yeah, and these these ones in the front were like way shorter. The ones yeah. in the back look. I think they were a little taller. Yeah, so if you don't want to walk through there, we can go around the outside. No, we're going to walk through there because it sounds, <laughs> it sounds super cool. On the... Oh, on the thing, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm Hannah Prescott, and this is Up Yonder Farm. Oh, my God, this corn is totally up yonder. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's really high. It's pretty tall. What do you, what do you think, like 10 feet? Got to be at least 8 or 9 feet for sure. Yeah. This is impressive. Yeah, so these ones are still getting pollinated. That's what I was doing here, but. Is uh, um, is corn, is it self-pollinating? Yeah, okay. but it's like wind pollinated. Okay, you don't have to <laughs> open the door and let bees in? No. Okay, cool. So like, cause it's a high tunnel, I have to go around and shake them. Ah. Because this, oh, the tassel, but it has like little gold dust on it. And it has to fall on the silk. Oh, okay. And every single one of these silks leads to a kernel right oh okay and so if it doesn't get that gold dust on it it won't get pollinated and so like that's why you'll have missing kernels sometimes uh. if just like one of these doesn't get pollinated oh wow yeah so every single one of those has to get pollinated yep to wow. have a full ear of corn right i had no idea corn was so complex yeah it's well i know it's kind of like the wild corn is so different from Oh, from yeah. what we have now, that it's it's almost like kind of amazing that they figured out how to domesticate it so long ago. I know. Well, I think the first corn was just like a tiny little thing. Right. Look at that. Yeah. So that would be ripe. You think? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Does it look ripe to you? <laughs> I mean, it maybe. I'm not the expert in could, ripe corn. <laughs> it could actually use like a couple more days, like up here. Yeah. But it would still be good. But anyway, I look at like that. I make sure that's brown. The silk. So I know there's some ripe ones in here somewhere. So you said this is your third year growing corn, but it's your first year like this, this much? Yeah. Cause this is a lot of corn. It's a lot of corn. You can, you can build a baseball field in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I kind of messed up, you know, with the, the, the last half. Cause yeah. I just didn't have the timing right. I didn't know how much to start in the beginning. And yeah. Yeah, I would say that one was ripe. Look at that. That's a lovely piece of corn. Yeah. So it's like bicolor. It's got the... Yeah, it's white and... White and yellow, yeah. White and yellow. So, I don't know what you want to do. Do you want to just pick a couple? How many would you like? Uh, I just need, you know, two or three ears to uh, take home with me and okay. work some magic on. Sweet. <laughs> I'm interested to see what you're gonna do with them because all I ever <laughs> eat them is like, I don't even eat these well, with butter. Like, I, <laughs> I just boil them and eat it. <laughs> well, that's kind of the funny thing about this particular show. It's like, I, it, it really could be a really short 
<laughs> because you know, oh, throw it in some, throw it in some boiling water, and let's, oh no, 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 I want, I want the husks. You want the husks? I definitely okay. want. I was the husks. just gonna like break. Okay, I'll, I'll just... take, I'll take all of it. Okay. The re- and the reason is, I was actually because I had some, I do have some ideas for what I was thinking about doing, and while I was like kind of looking, looking around at research, I found somebody who was talking about, um, not really similar to what I was doing, but he had the idea for doing a, which I sort of was wondering about, doing a corn stock. And what he said was that actually the husks have a ton of, uh, of liquid inside of them and a ton of corn flavor if you oh. cook them in a stock. So that's one of the things I'm going to be doing is trying that. But oh. then that has like, that'll feed into something else. That's so. interesting. Okay. Yeah. It's a mystery. I'm still working it out in my head. I haven't, <laughs> I I haven't quite it. finished it, but, uh, but I, I do have some ideas. When I make like corn chowder, I'll um, boil the whole cob. Well, yeah. like I'll strip off, strip off the kernels, but right. then like boil the cob. First. Yeah, and I've done that. I've yeah. done that before, you know. And then that's why. And then I was looking around, and he said, "Yeah, the cobs are okay." But this guy was like, "Huh, that's wanna, interesting." You want to throw the husks in, so so you'll you'll find out by <laughs> by the end of the show whether that's a really good idea or whether I'm like that guy's an idiot. I don't want- <laughs> You know, you never know sometimes. You never know until you do it. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like growing corn in Alaska. You're always learning. Oh, I've already, like, got this one back. Yeah, this one's ready. Oh, yeah. Sweet. Oh, man. Get that good sound in there. Oh, I know. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Corn. Corn. You know, like... Do you want to break one off? This one might be ready. Oh, sweet. Yeah, see how, like, brown that is? Yeah. That's a really good indicator. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll let you do the honors. Cool. Try not to break the hole. You just kind of, yeah. There we go. Nice. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. That's extremely exciting because, like, I mean, you just never see corn in Alaska. You know, people (laughs) people grow it for themselves, and they get, like, two ears, and they never give you any. I know. Nobody ever gives you corn. (laughs) It's like the the boundary of, you know, friendliness and neighborliness. It's like... I'll give you anything you want. I'll give you the shirt off my back, but you can't have my corn. <laughs> can't have my corn. <laughs> yeah, before I started selling it, I'd give it to my neighbors, and they were pretty happy. I bet. Yeah, wow. They must have been like, wow, you're the nicest person in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did some training with some friends, but yeah, and then I'd freeze some, but... Yeah, so it's it's been really slow. It's Well, it's a weird year. It is a really weird year. Yeah. It feels like... It feels like it's like three weeks later than it actually is. Yeah, you know? yeah, late spring and now it seems like an early fall. Yeah. So do you have um, to? Because uh, I always heard that corn's like a super heavy feeder. Do you have to? Mm-hmm. Do you have to put a lot of nitrogen in here? Normally, yeah. I didn't this year because we had a lot of nitrogen in the soil already. We got it tested and oh, it, cool. it had a bunch of nitrogen. Oh, right on. And nobody knew why, but we had grown cover crops in here last year. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, cover crops are really good at fixing the nitrogen, so yeah. I'm guessing that's why. But I just amended the soil with uh, baguano. Yeah, do um, you get your soil tested every year, so? Yeah. Yeah, especially for something like this, I would imagine, because I've heard that just corn is, like, horrible on the soil if you just yeah, let that's it go, all you, you know? Yeah. And I could side dress, too, I guess, some more nitrogen, but I just haven't. Actually, I should do that. Maybe that'll help them. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna try? Uh, are you gonna grow the corn in this one next year? Or are you gonna rotate no. your rotate your crops? Yeah, the around? corn next year will be in the tomato high tunnel. Where the tomatoes are. Yep. Yeah, it's a good idea, especially with corn to rotate because they are such a heavy feeder. But they don't have like bug problems. Really? As, as far as I know. Huh. No. Maybe. I'm sure, like, the bugs up here are like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what this is. <laughs> I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> <laughs> never seen anything like this. <laughs> They're just all confused. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'll see slugs on them. Well, they don't get in the ears, think. You know, yeah. good thing because they're you know they're pretty closed off. But I'll see them crawling on the stalks, but they don't do anything. So that's nice. They hurt the tomatoes, but not the corn. <laughs> I've never really thought about like, you know, new crops from a from an insect's point of view. You know, Me you got to figure they're like trying them, but then they're like, what is this thing? Because I mean, there's not really even anything here that even has like the texture of like a corn leaf. You know, like they they're dry and kind of papery. Yeah, I so, mean, I guess some grasses. 
Are you going to do something with the stalks when you're done or just compost them? Just compost them. Some people sell them on the food hub, but... The stalks? Yeah. What can you do with them? Just decoration. Oh. Like for Halloween or whatever. Oh, yeah, Just yeah, like yeah. Hang, out, hang them on your porch. Yeah. Your unripe corn at the end of the year, maybe you can make like corn cob pipes out of that. Corn cob pipes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like... You um, ever seen those before? No. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I've like, never seen them before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like tobacco pipes to be clear okay yeah they're classic they're like what like old men used to smoke and it's literally a corn cob hollowed out with a stem attached to it interesting huh. if you go if you ever go into like a pipe store or something they'll always have them and they'll okay. be they're like really really cheap okay put a little draw a little moose on it or something and sell them for like 25 bucks on the spit <laughs> perfect <laughs> Rolling in alaska <laughs> 25 bucks, that's probably what almost the cost of one of these years of corn, isn't it? <laughs> Is that what you're selling them for? Like, um, or you just put them up at auction. That's what you should do. <laughs> so on the food hub, they're five bucks in here, but I get four. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, when I tell people that, they're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be people from outside, though, because yeah, people yeah. in Alaska are like, well, that's pretty cheap. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are this people from, like, the Midwest, you know, where you can buy it for, like, 10 cents. Yeah, for a whole bushel or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, not, yeah, it's not like that here, y'all. I know. I love telling people that, though, just to see their reaction. <laughs> Some corn farmer in the Midwest is like, I'm going to move up there and become a millionaire. <laughs> He's going to get here and he's going to look at the soil and he's going to look at the length of the season and going to yeah. go right back to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, and you need a high tunnel to grow it. Yeah. I mean, I've tried to grow it outside and yeah. it doesn't work. Yeah, I've only ever heard of people growing it in a greenhouse. And even yeah. then, like most of the time, they have to baby it really hard. Mm-hmm. You actually seem, I mean, it seems like, you know, once you've put in the effort in here, it seems fairly straightforward. Like, if you, is there a lot of maintenance that you've had to do other than shaking the branch or shaking the stalks? No. No, and like even you don't have to weed really for a while because, well, when they're young, obviously, but when they're this big, you don't because you yeah. know, they shade out all the weeds and they're so yeah. much bigger than them. And I don't know, I planted the first ones, I guess, late April, but you know, I would cover them, double cover them with like another thing of visqueen, yeah, just to make sure they didn't freeze and then just take it off during the day. But that was it. I mean, it's pretty easy. And you planted them directly in the ground or you transplanted the first ones? I put directly in the ground okay. and then as that season went on I tried I transplanted them because I realized it was a lot easier yeah but I always heard that like you're not supposed to transplant corn because it's got a long tap root oh right yeah but you can so as next, long as you don't let them get too big next year are you gonna try to like plant like maybe half of it one week and half of it the next week or something to <laughs> <laughs> so you're not planting in June looking yeah. at half a high tunnel and like uh, or maybe like a quarter <laughs> a quarter yeah. each week yeah because I think half and half would be a little too much. Because yeah, you would have a lot of corn in a one of, week. And does this, this corn probably doesn't keep that well because it's a sweet corn, right? Yeah. Well, this variety, supposedly, it, it holds its shelf life a little better. Oh, okay. But, yeah. But, yeah, like, you know, the old wise thing that people would say is, you know, get your water boiling. Yeah. And then go out and pick your corn. Run back to the house. <laughs> yeah. Throw it in. Because as soon as you pick it. Yeah, it, it starts to lose the sugar. And normally, you would pick it in the morning for the highest sugar content. Oh, really? Yeah, but since it's cloudy, um, it doesn't really matter. Gotcha. But I just want to hang out in here because it's like, this is this is something you never see here. You know, just I know. I love this <laughs> high tunnel. <laughs> yeah, and I have like my neighbors. He's like a five-year-old and a nine-year-old but they love coming in here oh yeah just like running through here (laughs) (laughs) children of the corn yeah yeah well you said you haven't had alaska corn before right no i never have this is a first for me sweet i know i know i'm excited and here i am now i gotta figure out something to do with it that's not you know (laughs) what what i really want to do with it which you know it's just the show's an hour long so i can't just oh my water's boiling okay (laughs) i I put my corn in okay now it's done (laughs) Put some butter See on See you it. next week <laughs> for the rest of the hour. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, nobody would really learn anything. <laughs> I already knew how to do that. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could maybe you could use the uh, the unripened corn and make yourself a batch of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. I mean, you got to figure like 
some of that some of that unripened corn had to go into the whiskey at the end of the year because they're not going to throw it away. Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to get all of it ripe. So there you go. <laughs> I saw a picture, and I don't know if it was fake or not, but of like a um, like a spout like drilled into the stock. Uh huh. And they were collecting the <coughs> the sugar water. You know what that is? No. You heard of corn squeezins? No. It's 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 like a super country liquor from back in the day, and they would, that's what they would get it out of. Although they, they called it corn squeezins because they would usually collect it from the bottom of like when they silo corn, like yeah. in the Midwest especially, where they put the corn in like a huge silo to, to, to cure, or put the stalks into a big silo to make like, you know, whatever they do with the corn stalks. <laughs> and all the, all, the, all the liquid would collect at the bottom and they'd save it and ferment it because it was super sweet. And that was, that was called corn squeezins. Corn squeezins, I like that name. Wow. Yeah. That that sounds so like it'd be delicious. Yeah, but you know, maybe maybe if you don't you don't get the ripened uh the ripened ears off of these guys, maybe you can make yourself some corn squeezes. Yeah. Good idea. Look at that. We'll make use of these stocks. <laughs> even if they don't ripe. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's always something you can do with them. Yeah, that's that's really good to know. <laughs> there you go. See, aren't you glad that check the pantry came to Visit your... I'm very happy. Amazing corn high tunnel. <laughs> now, pretty exciting. Now comes the Alaska corn. So I'm just going to... I'm husking it right now. Oh, it's so beautiful. Husking it, pulling the silk... We're gonna get this all prepped. Now I am gonna I'm gonna keep a little bit of this to just uh, to just boil up. What we're gonna be doing here today is I gotta take a bite of this. Just dying. A little raw corn. Oh yeah. Oh, that's so good. Oh man, that is delicious. But now we're gonna start on our actual dish that we are making here. So I have long had the philosophy that if you want to make something you're not exactly sure what you want to make with it it's never going to be a bad idea to smother it in poached eggs and hollandaise i've generally found that this is a very successful way to cook just about anything everybody loves poached eggs and hollandaise on top of things it feels very fancy even though it's not even though it's really simple to make and it's yummy I don't have a name for this dish yet. Part of my goal here by the end of the show is to decide what I want to call this. Eggs something. But I am going to make some corn fritters topped with a poached egg and a corn and lime hollandaise. And the first thing I'm going to do here is to make myself a nice corn stock. Taking the advice that I saw I'm gonna try making my stock with the husks and the cobs. So I'm just stripping the husks right now. And then the stock, I'm gonna use both in the fritter batter as the liquid in the fritter batter. And I'm gonna use it as the liquid in the hollandaise, in the sauvignon that we'll start with the hollandaise with. So in theory, this should be a very intensely corn tasting dish. I really want corn to be the thing. I'm not gonna add anything else, really. It's just gonna be corn, a little bit of chili, uh, which we'll get into a little later, and then a little shot of lime juice there at the end. Other than that, pretty much corn. Corn, eggs, and butter. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty tasty stuff together, I think, so. So one of these can one of these I'll keep aside. The other two I'm going to strip the kernels off and use the cobs in this uh, corn stock as well. Husk silk and all going in there, as well as the chunks of stalk. Some kernels from the corn. And these will go into the fritters. They'll most likely. Use a little for garnish too, I think. And one of the things we're gonna be doing today, which we'll get to in just a little bit, 
is uh, I think sometimes people get nervous about the various Benedict style dishes that are poached eggs and hollandaise because they think, oh, it's hard to make poached eggs. It's hard to make hollandaise. And then they also think, oh, but I got to make it all at the last minute too, you know, and it's really stressful. I am here to tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we can make just about all of this ahead of time and we will. So that at the end, when it's time to actually eat this and serve it up, the only thing we're gonna have to do at the end for this is to pan fry the corn fritters. You know, there's just no way around that. Those pretty much have to be done last minute. You know, you can't really, we gotta fry something right before it's made. But everything else, poached eggs and the hollandaise, those we can do beforehand. So I just filled my pot of corn husks and cobs uh, with some water and I'm just gonna let that cook. I'm guessing it'll probably take about an hour. Once that's done, we'll be back to poach some eggs and also think about making some holidays. Corn stalk's going, it's been going for a while. It really smells <laughs> pretty delicious. I've tasted it a couple times and both times uh, early on, it was very faint sort of corn flavor. And then the last time I tasted it, it was considerably more intense. It's probably getting pretty close to being ready. I'm gonna go ahead and get my poached eggs prepped. You might be a little bit surprised by this unless you've worked in brunch restaurants before because it's very common. One of the reasons that brunch restaurants love poached eggs is because they're actually really easy to do ahead of time. And then all you gotta do is reheat them. I got some water boiling, some nice salted water, and I have another tub of water that I'm gonna add some ice cubes to. Just gonna make up a little ice bath. And all we're gonna do here is poach our eggs and poach them to, they'll be ever so slightly underdone. And then we're gonna dump them in the ice bath so they cool down really quick. And then I can store them in the fridge and just pull them out and drop them into simmering water right before it's time to eat. So it takes no time. And since the most stressful part of poaching the eggs is the initial part, you know, if you break one now, or you know, if one of them comes out looking funny or you overcook something or whatever, you don't have to stress at the last minute about poaching eggs, especially if you're not somebody that has really poached a lot of eggs before. Um, the other way, which is actually the way that I used to do it, or my favorite way of doing it was, was with a sous vide machine. I would cook them. Uh, it's been a while. I can't remember the exact temperature right now. I got it written down somewhere. I want to say like 152 or something for like 45 minutes. And then you drop the temperature to 137 and they will basically hold uh, at a pasteurized temperature for not quite indefinitely because the proteins still do denature. So if you leave them in there for like four or five hours, then they'll, they will get they will get hard, but they'll hold for quite a while. And then you can just, you do it in the shell and you can pull them right out and crack them and plop them on the English muffins or whatever you're using. And that way it works really well too, but that's not what we're gonna do today. Use the freshest eggs you can find. This is one of those dishes where it really does, I think, make a difference if you do have like local eggs, because local eggs, you know, there's there's the two kinds of whites. There's the there's a really runny outside white, and then there's the interior white that's a lot thicker and has a lot more substantial integrity. You want more of the thick white and less of the runny white for poaching eggs. And usually backyard or you know local, local chickens will typically have more of that, and fresher eggs also will have more of that. So the only sort of thing to, that I think you gotta sort of pay attention to when you're poaching eggs is to make sure you got enough water. Um, make sure you have a, you're, you've got a pan that's kind of deep because what you really want in order to sort of keep the nice poached shape is for the outside part of the egg to mostly be set up by the time it gets to the bottom of the pan. So you want to have the pan be actually as deep as you can, as you, you can get it, you know, with at least three or four inches of water in it. The other thing is we don't want our water to be actually boiling. We want it to be at a nice simmer. A, the boiling of the water is really violent and it runs the risk of blasting the eggs apart and making them look bad. The other reason is it's really easy to overcook them that way. So we just wanna really gently simmer these eggs in barely, barely simmering water. We want the water to be deep and I, I always salt it. Some people, and I have done this, you know, will recommend using vinegar 
they'll supposedly think that that, you know, makes it a little easier to poach eggs. And, and some people swear by it. I've personally never liked it that much. Um, every time, well, not every time, but most of the times when I've personally used vinegar, I find it's really easy for the, for the yolk to actually separate from the white. And I'm not sure exactly why, but I have noticed that happening semi-regularly when I've used vinegar. The other thing, which I usually do, even though I'm not really 100% sure that it's doing anything, is I almost always make a little bit of a whirlpool in my in my pan. And, you know, you just stir it around and make a little vortex. And theoretically, the, the idea is that when you when you drop the eggs in, and they, any of the little stray white bits kind of get blown off on the outsides of the vortex. But uh, I don't know. It is kind of fun to do. You know, it's just fun to make a little vortex. Well, I'm waiting on this water to boil. I'm going to go ahead and taste my corn stalk. See how much longer I really need to go. I don't want to boil away all the aromatics. Mm. Ooh, it really smells like corn. Like it's an intense scent. It's, it's a lot more subtle when you actually taste it, but the aroma is just like fresh corn. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and then when you taste it, it's just kind of a very lightly sweet uh, liquid. But the aroma is like is honestly it's, it's really incredible it smells absolutely phenomenal so i've cracked four eggs into a bowl here because i'm making two servings of this two eggs for per serving right and then all the eggs for the hollandaise so there's lots of eggs lots of corn lots of butter little chilies will happen and i would say this corn stock has been going for maybe maybe 40 minutes 45 minutes something like that actually i'm going to turn it off i feel like i'm right right where i want to be so I'm gonna let that just sit and cool down and steep a little bit, and then I'm gonna strain it off. And uh, I'm pretty sure, because I've got a lot of this corn stock, way more than I'm gonna need in the in the uh, in the fritter batter and in the in the hollandaise. So I'm also gonna have to make a batch of corn chowder with it, I think, uh, sometime this weekend, because all I'm gonna need then is some corn, another a little more frozen corn, and a little heavy cream. And I don't know, maybe some bacon. Maybe I'll throw some bacon in there. And I mean, we'll have a really awesome corn chowder. Okay, I took my cover off. Now we are super boiling. So I'm just gonna turn it way on to low and just get myself up to a nice, good simmer. That's good, I like that. So now I'll make my vortex just cause it's fun and I like doing it. And I'm adding all four eggs at once. Just slip them right in there and they spin around and form this gigantic mass of eggy <laughs> whiteness. But they start to separate out pretty quick into their respective four parts. And I'm just going to let them go for maybe two, two and a half minutes, maybe three minutes, something like that. Kind of gently move them around, make sure they're nice and separate from each other. Go ahead and pull out some of these whites that are already cooked. Some of the runny whites, the stringy stuff, so that we don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Ooh, lovely poached egg. Oh, I think we're there. Okay. So my whites are sort of nice and firm. Go ahead and kill the heat, take it off the heat. Just check. Yeah. The whites are nice and firm. I'm just gonna drop it into my ice bath. And do this for all four of them. They're done. And all that needs to happen now is that right before it's time for me to make my dish, I just bring a little more water and it doesn't have to be the full amount of water. It can just be a little bit and slide these in there and let them cook through. So maybe 45 seconds to a minute and they'll warm back up and the egg and the yolks will be that sort of perfect beautiful runny consistency, but now I don't have to sweat it. It's done. Like the hard part is actually done. All I have to do now is reheat these. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and strain my corn stock. See what it looks like when it's all. Oh, nice. Oh yeah. It's a really, it's this really beautiful kind of pale yellow. It looks a little like white wine. So the poached eggs are done and now my corn stock's done. Step one of holding hollandaise for a little while is to boil some water. Step two 
is to get a thermos of some kind and fill that thermos with your boiling water. Cover it, let the thermos get nice and warm on the inside, and now I can make my hollandaise. And when it's done, I'm just gonna dump out the water in there and pour my hollandaise directly into the thermos. And it will stay warm for, at a minimum, two hours. I'm not gonna make a massive amount of hollandaise, although it's actually a little easier to make hollandaise in slightly larger amounts. This is sort of the most challenging amount that you can make it in, which is one egg. I'll take my hollandaise, or take my egg, I'm gonna grab this little bit of corn stalk. I'm gonna add it just on the bottom of the pot. I'm gonna plop my egg in, and I'm just gonna give them a nice little whip together. So my egg yolk is thoroughly incorporated here. And I also have with me my butter. Generally, six eggs to a pound is sort of roughly the deal, so I guess we want, since we got one egg, we want roughly a sixth of a pound of butter. Kind of a guesstimate here, but I'm gonna say, Mm, mm, nice butter too. It is nice to use nice butter with hollandaise. So I'm gonna cut my butter up into little chunks. So we're just gonna do this the old-fashioned way, which is really pretty easy. Despite its fearsome reputation, this is not a complicated sauce to make. You know, the only real trick is not overheating the eggs. So here we go, I got, my limes are out now. Let me make sure I got everything. Get my mise en place happening. Get some Tabasco, some limes. And a little salt. And I'm gonna go ahead and beat these eggs and the cornstalk until it's nice and foamy. I just beat and beat and beat and beat and beat until the proteins in the eggs start to thicken. And they thicken the, the cornstalk, they thicken this, the liquid that's in there. And then once that starts to happen, then I will start dropping in the butter and the butter will stay emulsified. So I got it over kind of low heat right now, just cause it's a kind of a small amount. If it was a, a bigger amount, I'd probably raise the heat a little bit, but this is a really tiny amount, this is not much. So I got a nice foamy egg foam here, starting to get warm. Look at it, it's starting to get pretty thick. So I think we're getting pretty close here. You know, and I pull it on and off the heat a fair amount, especially once I get start getting closer to it, closer to my final temp. I pull it on and off the heat, and if I get tracks going, I wanna just see, and see that if I roll it around the pot, the tracks that are left are now beginning to have a little bit of permanence. Still need a little bit of time, not much. Just keep whisking, happy little whisk. So a little bit liquidy. Okay, my foam seems like it's starting to set up pretty nice. Yeah, it is. Now, just gonna start dumping my butter in, a knob at a time. Yeah, the foam's now, it's definitely got like some stability to it on the sides of the pan leaving traces in the bottom of the pan. Just gonna keep that heat going, keep moving it on and off the heat just to get this butter to melt. And as you add the, the butter, the sauce will thicken. Oh, it is whisking. Oh, wow. <laughs> this hollandaise completely, I mean, it, it smells like corn. That's kind of unreal. See how the thickness is. Yeah, it leaves a nice trace. Mm. Oh wow, it's like corn on the cob. It tastes a lot like corn on the cob, actually. It's kind of amazing. All right, a little pinch of some salt. A little tiny shot, Tabasco, just a little bit. A few grinds of white pepper, just so you don't see it. Blends into the sauce a little better. Oh yeah. There, pop it off the heat for a second. While I slice a lime, probably do the juice of half a lime. Let's do it in the strainer. Now I used a little bit of extra liquid in here. You know, a lot of times, uh, sometimes I wouldn't even add water into a hollandaise. Sometimes I would add just a little bit. This is a fair amount because I do want to have it uh, taste a little like, a little more like corn. So it's gonna be a little thinner than perhaps you might be used to, but honestly I find, I find that good hollandaise is actually a lot thinner than you sort of expect. Like the really thick stuff always, you know, that's like kind of wallpaper pasty. Is a little, a little too much sometimes. Oh man, that citrus. A little bit of uh, lime juice really knocked it out of the park, I think. Mm. Ooh, it's thinner than I think uh, you might expect. It's gonna be a little bit uh, saucier. Mm. Oh, that's good. Oh yeah, boy, that lime juice really, really took it to. Woo! 
that's tasty. That is delicious. All right, so now just gonna, if I can open my thermos here, dump out the hot water, pour in my hollandaise, and that is ready to go. It'll keep like that for, you know, at least an hour, maybe two, plenty of time. And I'm just gonna get some of my corn stalk chilling now, because the next task is to finish this thing by making our fritters. And uh, it's not quite dinner time yet, so we're gonna wait on that just a little bit. Okay, last step here. The eggs are pre-poached. The hollandaise is made, it's ready to go. All I've gotta do is make my fritters, warm my eggs back up, and, and we're done. There's a lot of different ways of making fritters. This particular version I liked because it was very simple and because I was looking for something that used water as a liquid so that I could use corn stock. I don't wanna have to worry about an egg batter. There's a lot of fritter egg batters that are really nice, that are really awesome and light. But I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could, you know, really, really amp up the, the corn flavor here. And I've also got my first ripe ahi rico chilies, which are, you know, again, they're not very hot. There's a little bit of heat, but not very much. They're mostly like really fruity and really fresh and really vibrant tasting. And I also have some garlic scapes and I got to use them. So I figured what the heck. And I've got, I'm sure nobody will be surprised to learn, some lard in a large skillet that I'm going to use to fry these guys. So the lard is melting. And I've got about a little more than a half a cup, I think, of flour in here. So I'm gonna incorporate my, my corn stock. It's a fairly thin batter. Go a little bit at a time. Don't want it to be too thick. So this is a little over a half a cup of flour and a teaspoon of baking powder and a little bit of salt. And I'm just giving it a quick stir, not working it too hard. It's a little, it's kind of like pancake batter. It's kind of the consistency that you're looking for. Maybe slightly thicker than that, but not very much. And much like pancake batter, you don't really want to work it too hard. We want to minimize gluten development. So I'm going to add finely minced chilies and my garlic scapes. Got my corn. And let's give a nice, generous amount of corn here. I'm not going to use quite all of it. This is two full ears. I don't want to overburden my fritter batter too much. But the point of fritters, you know, the, the batter itself is not really supposed to be the, the star of the show. Mostly we're, we're wanting the actual ingredients of the fritter to be most of it. It's uh, a little bit thin, but it's got a decent, still got some decent body to it. So I'm gonna go ahead and scoop this out. I'm gonna need at least four of them. One, two, three, four. Just gonna let these guys fry over a medium, medium high heat, just until they start to get nice and brown. And again, kind of like pancakes, we're uh, sort of looking for, for bubbles on the top side to know when to flip. Yeah, they're starting to solidify nicely on the bottom. No stickage, but I want them, I want them to be a little bit solid on the, on the top before I flip them so we don't <laughs> spew batter everywhere. I went ahead and boiled uh, the other corn cob. It's just sitting on the table. It'll just be part of our corn feast with some butter and some salt. I have also got a pot of water that I used to boil the corn in. It's uh, simmering now. So as soon as I finish these fritters, I'll drop the, the poached eggs in so that they can warm up. And then I'll throw, the, throw my fritters on, uh, on the plates and we'll be pretty much ready to go here. Oh yeah, we're starting to get some bubbles on these guys. Turn them around a little. Make sure they cook evenly. And this same batter can be used for pretty much anything. Just a really basic, basic fritter batter. Oh yeah, oh beautiful. Really nice golden color on the bottom here. The, uh, the bubbles are starting to, starting to pop up on the edges here, but I'm gonna keep them going until we, till we get some, some bubbling in the middle of all of these and that's when we'll know that they're firm enough to really flip over these are gorgeous love it i think these guys are ready see how we can do the flip oh yeah oh so nice you know anytime you're frying something like this i don't care how many times you've done it there's always that moment of like oh god what if this is this is not gonna work and then it does and now i've got these four 
gorgeous corn fritters flipped over. They're just gonna take another couple of minutes to finish frying. And I've got a rack here that they're gonna go directly onto. My poach water is at a perfect simmer. Pretty much as quick as I dunk these poached eggs in, they will be ready to come out. Oh, so beautiful. Man, these fritters look good. Fritters on the rack. Beautiful, beautiful corn pancakes. Magnificent, love it. Here we go, moment of truth. Poached eggs chilling in the ice water. Now they're going in the, in the poaching water just to warm through. By the time I get, I'm gonna go ahead and turn that off too. I'm just gonna let those sit in there. Get my fritters on the plate. Beautiful. Plop. Plop these beautiful poached eggs onto my corn fritters. Get my hollandaise, which has been chilling nicely in its special little thermos. And one nice thing too, is that hollandaise actually will, as it stands, it does thicken a little bit. In fact, sometimes like if you make it a little thick to begin with, sometimes, you know, if you're in a restaurant, like during service, you, a lot of times you'll have to add a little water to thin it out because it gets too thick. But this is really nice. It's slow, it spreads, but it spreads pretty slowly. And it's a nice nap texture. Might as well pour it all out because it's gonna be yummy on the fritters. So there's that. Now I gotta add a little garnish. Now I got, I'm gonna add a little bit of lime zest, just a little bit, because I got the lime juice in here. So a nice little additional shot of lime flavor I think will be very appropriate. Beautiful. And I'm also gonna garnish this with a little bit of the raw corn kernels, because why not? You know, if you if you're just looking at this, you wouldn't know that there was corn in it. So I'm gonna make sure that when you see this, you're like, oh, corn, and you expect corn. And our final little trick, always a nice addition, is just a little bit of fleur de sel to finish everything off. A couple of squirts of white pepper. Our eggy corn Benedict dish is now finished. And in honor of the original plant that was corn, that is now no longer corn, it's the, the ancestral plant of corn, I present to you eggs teosinti. And I'm gonna go eat this because it looks awesome. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. The Alaska corn was supplied by Hannah Prescott of Up Yonder Farm, who was also the guest on the show. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quator Ebain. This is the eighth episode of the summer 2021 season of Check the Pantry. Support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily commercial properties, and property management in the Southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star restaurants in New York and is the only level three sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website 
at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this. Thank you.